Can you remember the last time you learned a lesson in humility? I can. It was probably about a month ago. I play on a tennis team, mixed doubles, where men and women play on a team together, out of Huntley Hills neighborhood. And we were playing a match one Sunday afternoon against Blackburn Tennis Center. So they were the home team, we were the away team, and we showed up for our match Sunday afternoon. And you could understand for me, Sunday afternoons are kind of hectic, trying to wrap up things, whether it even be virtual worship or a gathering of folks on a Sunday here at the church outdoors. Also trying to coordinate with my son and my ex-wife. And so got all that handled to be able to get out to the tennis court. And we, we weren't even sure if we were gonna be able to play because it had rained the day before. And so we never heard for sure we were gonna play and we show up and we find out where our court's assignments are and we go out there and there's puddles of water on the courts. And so you can actually wipe those up or spread them out with something called a squeegee. It's like a big roller on the end of a pole. And um, it's usually the responsibility of the home team to make sure the courts are ready to play. But we got there and there was no one from the home team there and there were puddles on the courts and we had all gone through this effort to find out if we were gonna play and make arrangements so that we could be there to play. And it was very frustrating to get there and they weren't ready and they weren't even there. And so some of our team grabbed the squeegees and started to squeegee the courts. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was not in the right frame of mind. I was frustrated by all that as well. And so I sat down and started getting ready and thinking to myself, it's their responsibility, the home team. When they get here, they can squeegee. And sure enough, they showed up and uh, actually the, some of the folks that we were supposed to play against, the home team, uh, they didn't even lay a hand on a squeegee. And that just made it worse for me. And I looked over and on the court next to me, a guy on our team named John, who lives right behind the church, he was just squeegeeing away uh, on the other team's court to try to get the water clean up so we could play and with a smile on his face. And, and I was frustrated and I, I said, John, why don't you put the squeegee down and let them handle it? It's their courts. And he said, well, you know, if I hadn't just listened to a sermon from my pastor about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, about the importance of loving people even when you don't feel like it, I probably would. But I think this is the thing for me to do. There I was, pastor of a church right behind his house, and he and I know each other, and he knows I'm the pastor here. And man, that was a moment for me to learn a lesson in humility. But there was John, in all humility, with a smile on his face, squeegeeing the courts, even when we shouldn't or it wasn't our responsibility. So I went over and picked up a squeegee and got in there with him and, and started um, drying off the courts. And we were able to play our match. And uh, John was playing on the court next to me with his partner. And, and I was playing. And uh, they got the tar beat out of them, and so did we. <laughs> they were, Black Bruins were a really good team. But we had fun. And like I said, I learned a lesson. Can you remember the last time you learned a lesson in humility? You know, in the passage of Scripture that was just read, uh, Paul points the church towards humility, towards joy in humility, towards joyful humility, which is our focus this week of the Lenten season. So the chapter in the book that we're all reading, Because of This I Rejoice, by Max Vincent, uh, the podcast episode that'll drop on Wednesday, as well as the message, all will be around 
the notion of finding joy in humility, joyful humility. And as Paul writes about that concept, he says to the Philippians, to the followers of Jesus, listen, let's get real about this for a minute. If, If Jesus is your jam, if you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and among us for God's kingdom, if you love God with all of your heart, if love matters to you at all, if you care at all, I mean, if you actually care, you can hear it in the words of Paul, if this matters to you at all, what we're doing, our faith, the King James Version says it this way, if there be bowels and mercies in you, And I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson put it in the message translation. If you have a heart and care at all. Paul takes this sobering look within each of us and says, listen, if this matters to you at all, then complete my joy. And Paul says, complete my joy in love and in unity. That image, that vision of complete joy. Oh man, that plucked a string in my heart. If you were to close your eyes for a moment and just envision complete joy for yourself. What would that look like? Does it involve other people, family, friends? Would it be at the beach or in the mountains or in your home? Would it be quiet and peacefulness? What would complete joy feel like to you? What would it look like And then imagine having that feeling, that sense of complete joy in your faith, in our faith, to experience it and express it, complete joy. And this is the vision that Paul is painting for the followers of Jesus that he's writing to. If this matters to you at all, what we've learned and what we're living, what we've experienced, then complete my joy in love and in humility. And he says his joy is complete when the believers are all living together in unity, in love. And the path to this life of love and unity is humility. If you go back to the first part of chapter two that we read just moments ago, Paul starts out with therefore, which means we ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's because Paul has just finished chapter one by identifying the fact that 
the Philippian Christians are struggling in their faith too, facing challenges and persecutions, not unlike the ones that Paul has faced. As we know, he's written this letter from prison. And so Paul is acknowledging for them the struggles that they're experiencing in their faith, both from outside forces and even within among the believers. And he likens it to to the struggles that he's experiencing in prison. And then Max writes in the book, "Because Because of This I Rejoice, the one that we're reading together, Max says that Paul encourages them in the midst of these difficult times to turn toward each other rather than away from or against one another. Paul urges them in the midst of the struggle of the difficult times toward unity. And he describes that unity as thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. And I think it's valuable for us to understand unity not as uniformity, to see that what Paul is writing about isn't uniformity, but unity. Those of us who've lived any life know the inevitability and the beauty of diversity among us, diversity of experience, thought, and perspective. And so Paul wasn't urging them to be uniform, but he was urging them to be united. And he describes that unity in the sense of them having a shared source, which is Christ, our Savior, having a shared aim, which is the kingdom of heaven lived out among us now and forever, and then having a shared means to connect those two, which he calls love. And it's that sense of knowing our shared source, our shared aim, and our shared means that unites us, that gives us the unity that Paul urges them to, to complete his joy. And again, the path to that unity that Paul paints, he calls it humility. Now, that's another distinction that I think's worth making the distinction the difference between humility and humiliation and we go into that a little bit in the podcast it's a really good conversation I hope that you'll be able to listen to that at some point this week again it drops on Wednesday but the difference between humility and humiliation is in a sense the difference between self-worth and self-importance humility excuse me, humiliation lowers the dignity and the sense of self-worth, whereas humility lowers the sense of self-importance. And we're living in a time, this pandemic season, we're living in a time that is rife with potential for feelings of humiliation, of shame, of a diminishing of our dignity, of our self-worth. I think it's true for parents 
who are having to figure out how to work and parent and help their kids with school and are feeling overwhelmed and ill-equipped and who probably were feeling some sense of that even pre-pandemic and it's only been heightened now. I think it's true for people who are trying to learn how to use a smartphone or a tablet or their computer or Zoom just to be able to stay in touch with and hear from the ones they love. And it's true for people trying to navigate systems and a society that are structured in ways that disadvantage them. All of these experiences are shots at our self-worth. And see, that's more humiliation than humility. Humility is willing to try your best for the people in your life and trust God with the results. Humility is being willing to learn new things and know that you may fumble with them even publicly, like I did a few weeks ago when we were worshiping live via Zoom and I got up to preach and could not figure out my glasses, mask, microphone combination. And man, I, I fumbled that horribly. <laughs> Humility is being willing to ask for help and trust others and trust God. I've heard it said before, maybe you've heard this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Which is reflected in Paul's words to us. That to live with an attitude of humility is to think of others before ourselves. The way it says it in the scripture is to defer to one another and watch out for each other in a Jesus-y kind of way. See, Jesus, Paul says, didn't cling to his power, his status, his high ground, or how long he had been a member of the First United Methodist Church of Heaven, but rather he laid that all down. He laid it aside and he humbled himself even to the point of a servant for the sake of the well-being and restoration of all of God's beloved creation. I love the point that Max brings out in the book about how we can understand humility corporately, collectively. As he progresses, Paul does in chapter 2, Max points out that Paul tells the church the importance of working out their faith with fear and trembling. And, and Max notes that the language that Paul uses there is plural, not singular. He's not telling each individual, but he's telling them collectively in their unity to work out their faith together. And Max introduces this concept of corporate humility. What does it look like for us to be humble as a body? as an organization, as a member of our community? What does it look like for us to build in disciplines, not only in our individual lives, but our corporate lives, that remind us to be humble? You know, many years ago, before I was a pastor, 
I was invited to go on a weekend spiritual retreat. It's called Walk to Emmaus. They happen every year. Um, I know during the pandemic, things are different for those. And maybe you've experienced that or heard of it. Uh, it was a great experience for me. And then after you've gone and been on that retreat for the weekend, you can offer to help on subsequent weekends to serve, to volunteer, to help make that weekend happen. It's completely volunteer run, and it takes a lot of people to put a weekend retreat together for a bunch of old men. <laughs> and uh, one of the unique things about that experience, the Walk to Emmaus, that I learned, and, I, and one of the things they try to do with that uh, event is not tell too much about it to people who haven't been so that you don't form expectations, but rather you can go in open to just receive what it is. Uh, so I'm going to pull back the curtain here a little bit, and I hope anybody who's familiar with Emmaus will give me some grace. But one of the things that I learned uh, when I was there serving after I'd already been was there was a practice in this community uh, where the Walk to Emmaus happened up in North Georgia that whoever was the lay leader, which was sort of the most prominent position of the weekends or led the whole weekend, got the most face time up in front of people, did a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure everything was organized and pulled together, but, but by and large was, was the CEO of the weekend, if you will, um, is the practice in this community that uh, whenever you served as the lay leader, and there was a lot of recognition given to you after the you know, walk was over, that weekend was over on Sunday, and uh, but, but the next time that a walk to Emmaus happened in your community, and, you know, it would usually be spring, fall. So if you were the lay leader in the spring, the next walk that happened in the fall, you served as a cabin servant. And, and the cabin servants operated behind the scenes. Their goal was never to be seen by anybody who's there for the weekend to experience it for the first time. And part of their responsibilities was to clean up the restrooms, the toilets, the showers, the sinks, vacuum, tidy things in the rooms, and never be seen as you do sort of the, the lowest, most menial tasks. And, and that was built into the community of faith there, the Walk to Emmaus, to, to help keep us humble and to remind even the person who was at the top the value and significance of doing even the most menial tasks. And when I served my first time on a walk to Emmaus, I was a cabin servant. And one of the people serving beside me, I came to find out by the end of the weekend, had been the lay leader of the whole effort the last time the walk had happened. He never mentioned it, and, and he went right along scrubbing every toilet with me and every sink and vacuuming and cleaning up and did it with a smile on his face. And I've come to understand what a beautiful picture of humility built into, baked into an organization, a community of faith. You know, I, I experience sort of corporate humility as a United Methodist pastor too. I serve under appointment. I'm appointed by the bishop and I serve under authority, the authority of the bishop and my superintendent. You know, there, there are other places, other ways that uh, people do church in which sort of the pastor has a little bit more autonomy uh, in the run and reign of a congregation. But within our denomination, we believe it's important that everybody serves under the authority of someone. And it helps to remind you of your place and your role. It, it's been a humbling experience for me to serve under the authority of someone else. And even when I went through my divorce, you know, I had more than one meeting with my district superintendent and others 
to give an account of my life and my marriage and the circumstances. And, you know, they do that in part to ensure the church that the person who's appointed to them as a pastor is, in a sense, in good standing and responsible for themselves and their faith and their lives. And I think about for our church here at Shambly, what does it look like for us to have disciplines, practices that keep us humble, remind us of the importance of looking first to the needs of others and not to our own self or to our own church. And in part, I think it means trusting the leadership of our church, trusting them to do what's best, to do their best for and by our church and our community. And there's going to be times where we don't agree or don't see it the same way. And, and yet it's an experience of humility to be willing to be a part of a community of faith where everything doesn't go your way and you're not going to just take your toys and go home. And it also means trusting the Spirit of God to move, to be at work in you and in the people around you, in the leadership of your church, and I got to tell you, I was in a leadership meeting of our church, I don't know, a couple of months ago. It's hard to tell anymore. It might have been last week. But in the midst of that meeting, I got to hear one of the people in leadership in our church say on Zoom with everyone there about someone else on the call. You know, I haven't always been trusting of you and your motives. And I need to confess that and, and admit that that's not fair, not right. And they apologized and said, I, I know that we both want the same thing. We want what's best for the church and for God's kingdom. And I want to work with you to figure out how we can do that and not have an adversarial or mistrusting relationship. And I got to tell you, as a pastor of this church, that almost made my heart jump out of my chest to see an example of that kind of humility in love that would lead us to unity as followers of Jesus. And I celebrate that with you, that that's the kind of church you're a part of here at Shambly. And I want to ask you for this Lenten season, would you be willing to give some time to consider where God might be calling you personally, individually, or calling your church to know the joy of humility, of putting the needs of others ahead of our own. And knowing that God gave us the example of Jesus who was willing to do that even to the point of death and death on a cross. But humbling himself serving and giving, even giving of his life. God took that and raised Jesus up to be enthroned for all of eternity in all glory with God. There's something about our faith when we're willing to humble ourselves 
to give and to serve, to care for the needs of others, even ahead of our own. That God moves and works within it and does something, something even supernatural to raise up a glimpse, an image of God's kingdom in us and among us. Maybe you and I both have an opportunity this Lenten season to learn a new lesson in humility. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, amen.